This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 106. And the quote of the day is from Bill Gates, who said, Patience is a key element of success. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and I'm excited to announce that we have a new supporter of the show, and that's DW Drums. And I've been playing DW Drums for over 10 years. I love DW Drums, but it's not just because they make great handcrafted drums here in the United States, but they also foster drumming initiatives all over the world like this podcast and they have been doing that since 1973 and that's the real reason why I get behind DW and I'm happy to have them supporting the podcast and do yourself a favor and check them out at dwdrums.com. The other supporter of the show is our good friends at Drum Magazine. And drummers, if you want to play better, be sure that you're checking them out every month. They don't just have these cliched Q&As, but they have in-depth profiles, gear reviews, and some of the best lessons you'll find anywhere, like the new article that they released, 43 Shuffles Every Drummer Should Know. You can check them out and also subscribe at drummagazine.com. The interview that I have today is Mike Greenfield from the band Lotus, and this is such a, it's it's cool, I, he and I actually played uh, some shows together in Philly, I can't remember when and where, but I know that we, we split some bills together, um, and I'm not sure if he was in the band or not at the time, anyway, uh, I'm sort of rambling here, but Mike is, he has a really interesting story, and we're going to get into that of how he became the drummer of Lotus, and how he was actually um, not playing drums professionally full-time uh, when he got the gig. So it's a pretty cool story, an inspiring story, and keeps you keeps you thinking that you got to just keep pushing on and keep pushing on, and good things are going to happen. So let's get into this interview with Mr. Mike Greenfield. Mike, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me here. This is uh, this is great. Been looking forward to this. Absolutely, man. And and again, we were talking off off air. Uh, you had mentioned that you listen to the podcast, and so I appreciate just for starters. Let's talk about that real quick. But uh, so thank you very much for for listening and and for uh, supporting the podcast. And thank you for your email. And I'm glad that that you're on the show now. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, like I was saying, I I travel a lot. You know, I'm on the road at least a third of the year. And, you know, when I'm on planes, when I'm on the bus and just want to chill out, um, I found that podcasts are uh, really where it's at for me for getting new information and just checking uh, new concepts out. And I've been listening basically to four podcasts and, and you're one of those four. And well, thank uh, you. yeah, yeah. So it's, I've gotten a lot out of it. So it's great for me to be on the other side now, my first one. Yeah, I like it. So what, what other podcasts do you listen to? I'm always interested in a new podcast. Um, the new one that I've been checking out a lot is Tim Ferriss's podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I listened to, um, a couple of, a couple of his episodes actually. Yeah. He's great. He, he's interested in what makes people world-class performers. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you could always get something out of that, you know, like even listening to Josh Waitskin, uh, who he was a ch- chess prodigy who was mm-hmm. featured in the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. And I think that was the first one I listened to. And, you know, even though he's talking about chess and, and martial arts, no matter what you're talking about, um, it can relate to what you're doing with drumming when you're trying to take it to that certain level. Sure. Um, yeah. So I've gotten a lot out of his podcast. I also listen to Joe Rogan's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also one other drum podcast is I'd hit that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that's a good podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's great. You know, so between those four, I can't really listen to too much. Oh, and there, there is actually one more, the, um, hardcore history. Dan Carlin. Hmm, I never heard of that one. Oh man, he's great. He has, he has this one episode. I've turned a lot of the guys in the band onto it, where he um, he does. I think it's a five part series on Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan, and um, hmm. it's just my jaw was like literally on the floor the whole time I was listening to it. And uh, you know, it's it's, a, it's just really interesting for any history buffs out there. What's it called? What's it called again? I want to write it's it called, down. Yeah, it's called Hardcore History. Hardcore History. Um, and uh, I think those, those are called the Wrath of Khan, and there's five of them. And those are free. He has, I think, ten out, like around ten episodes that are free, and then the other ones you have to pay for. I think so. Mm-hmm. You know, those are a good, good place to start. Cool. Yeah. Cool. 
So, yeah, there's a, actually, there's another one called, uh, it's called WTF. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. No, no, I haven't heard of that. That's pretty, it's pretty cool. So anyway, uh, people are probably like, are you guys going to talk drums at all? You're going to talk podcast, <laughs> but we're going to talk everything. So, uh, <laughs> it's all related. Yeah, so. it is. It is. Uh, yeah, because I think, you know, that's a lot of the stuff that I do on drummers resource is that it doesn't necessarily have to be drum related, but you can take all of these different things and apply them to your drumming, whether it be goal setting and achievement or, you know, or just staying motivated or, or habit formation and all that stuff. So that stuff's really interesting to me. So I encourage the listeners out there to, to check out other things other than drumming and try to have it, you know, ha- try to apply it to, to your music career. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, even this year I read two books that were targeted towards writers, you know, authors. Mm-hmm. And um, I got so much out of them as being a musician. It, it's just, uh, it really blew my mind. The first one is uh, Stephen Pressfield. It's called The War of Art. Oh, uh, yeah, I just, I, I read that. Well, I listened to it, but. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, that was awesome. I actually found out about that book through Joe Rogan. Oh, okay. Uh, and um, the other one is, is an older book by Stephen King. It's called On Writing. And, um and he, he talks about his writing process and about keeping it simple. And he shows like his first draft of writing and, and how he just like takes everything away from that just to make it more concise and simple. And, and I kind of do the same thing with playing drums. It's, it's very easy to overplay and want to play more. And, you know, where it's really at is taking that and carving it away to just to the essence to make things work, you know? So it, it's a, it, actually in one of my other favorite authors, Tom Robbins has a quote. I'm going to paraphrase. I don't have it exactly memorized. Um, but he said, whenever you dig into a topic, no matter what it is, when you go really deep into it, it illuminates its relationship upon all other things, you know? So no matter what you're doing, whatever you get into, you can bring back those lessons into drumming and, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it's you can get a lot out of it. I've actually gone the other way with stuff too. Like I'll use some of my some of my practice regimen and not necessarily the regimen but the the dedication to practicing and applied it to going to the gym. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like slowly breaking things down and and you know rather than just jumping into a gym routine where I'm going 7 days a week for 2 hours a day and everything because that's not going to last. You yeah, know, if you yeah. just jump into it. So I start with if I'm learning a new style in music or like if I'm learning something new, then I'll break it down into small parts and be like, all right, let me slowly get into this a little bit. So I'll, you know, started doing that with working out, too. So it's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. You're learning the discipline and you learn how to learn and you can apply that towards anything. Right. And right. that's why it's a little scary when you see a lot of public school music programs that are taking away these music programs for the kids because for me just having that there really helped me out I think with all other aspects of school even social too Mm -hmm. social aspects but just having that discipline of learning an instrument drums are not easy to learn and uh yeah applying that towards anything exactly Mm -hmm. and and because learning an instrument is frustrating too so if you can learn how to sort of cope with that and kind of get you ready for the real world or the quote-unquote real world of of you know everything's not going to be easy and not going to be handed to you you have to work for things in in order to get things right yeah yeah what's that uh mike johnson has that bracelet now i think it's called embrace the suck embrace the suck yeah you know so yeah exactly (laughs) That's pretty funny though. And speaking of the public schools, there I forget the the exact number, but um but students who study an instrument statistically have higher grades than students who don't. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. So I don't know what the numbers are, but so nobody quote me on numbers. Anyway, so speaking of of drumming, that's what we're here to to talk about. Let's get into to your career a little bit. I always like to get the backstory of how, you know, how people got into drumming and and how they sort of gotten the bug for uh for drumming so what's your story right um i almost have two stories and the first story is probably similar to 99 percent of all drummers especially the weekend warriors um and then the second half is is pretty different so i guess i'll start the first um i started playing well i really started playing when i was very young even like four or five years old but it wasn't Hmm. serious my my parents bought me a little toy drum set and i'd run around the house and smash on it and run away and you know do that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and then when i was nine years old um talking about public schools 
um, that's when in fourth grade, that's when, uh, you know, we got the letters, uh, you know, saying people, if you want to join the school band, you know, you can come in and pick an instrument. And I actually wanted to play bass guitar because my father played bass. Um, but they don't, you know, they didn't offer that. And one of my neighbors was a drummer and I looked up to him. So, uh, I got into that and, uh, didn't look back from there. So, uh, I, you know, throughout all elementary, junior high and high school, I was involved with the band and, um, really helped me out a lot. Again, socially, I still, the people I stay in touch with still to this day now, 20 something years later are from the band department, you know, cause we were <laughs> together every single year for, you know, over 10 years. Sure. And, um, you know, so those, it was just very strong bonds and I still see a lot of them when I tour now with Lotus, I'll stop in a city. I think even just last tour, I saw probably four or five friends from high school just who wound up spread out all over the country. Awesome. Yeah. Um, when I left high school, I went, I didn't go to school for music. I went to Stony Brook University in Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, one of the summers, I think I was 20 years old. It was probably 1993. I went to Drummers Collective. I did that uh, 10 week certificate program there. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah. And that was incredible. You know, you, it just totally for 10 weeks, I was just immersed in, uh, in drumming and, um, just learned so many different styles of music, got into some advanced concepts with polyrhythms and polyrhythms and cross rhythms, uh, chart reading, a lot of, a lot of things like that. And, um, that, that was really cool for me. Um, and then after, after, you know, after college, I kind of made my money split up between teaching and I'd play a lot on weekends and I wound up doing the wedding band thing for a couple of years. And then I actually wound up playing with a salsa band for a few years and nice. bands. Yeah. And, um, was doing that at the, towards my end of, of my stay in New York, I wound up catching Jojo Mayer also when he first started nerve, I think it was in 98. Nice. Yeah. And so that was my introduction to electronic music. Um, and, uh, that since that time, actually, pretty much every band that I've been involved with has had some sort of electronic influence to it, whether it's it's more of a, uh, a house trance sort of thing or some drum and bass. Um, you know, it's, it's really become part of who I am as a drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, then in 99, I moved to Philly. So I guess me and you, we kind of swap cities here, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I, I started playing with a, a band called The Ally. And through them, I became friends with guys in the Disco Biscuits. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know them too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just completely changed the way I thought about drumming uh, when I came to Philly because of the Disco Biscuits and also because of uh, Quest Love. Because before that, you know, especially coming from Drummer's Collective and being a drummer's drummer, you know, the guys that you look up to were Vinnie Kaliuta and Dave Weckl and all these guys who are basically, uh, you know, a lot of chops, played a lot of notes, can be chameleons and play in any different style and completely own it. And um, the first time I saw Sammy, the drummer from the Biscuits, you know, honestly, the first time I saw him, I really didn't like him because he's, he's not a technician. and. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me a few times before I realized the brilliance of his playing and just uh, what it means to play simple and to play for the part of the band and be, especially when you're in group improv, how to become a collective unit. So I learned a lot from him. And then also from Questlove also, you know, who Mm -hmm. hardly plays any fills at all and just is all about the pocket. So um, my drumming style completely did a 180 turn when I moved when I moved here. Um, and I also, I think Philly is a great place to be for getting a band off the ground. Yeah. Um, it's cheap to live here. You're close to all the other cities in the Northeast, you Mm -hmm. know, where, you know, maybe there are better music scenes in Colorado or, uh, maybe even Austin, but you're isolated there and and it's, it's so easy to get to other cities. So it may not be the best if you want to be a session musician, but I think for getting a band off the ground, I I can't really think of a better city. I mean, it was, you know, I did, I did the same exact thing you did and, you know, for started a band and, and, you know, or, 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 you know, grew a band in Philly and like, 
it's it's great. There's a ton of clubs, and you know, and there's. I think there was a lot more, you know, in the late '90s, early 2000s, obviously. Um, but yeah, there's definitely fertile ground there where you can you can uh, you know build your fan base and start to really grow a band. Yeah, there may be more smaller bands back then, but there there are more music venues now than there were the entire time I've been here. And they're opening a Fillmore now, which mm-hmm. is a 2400 cap room. Um, and th- there's a lot of music venues here and more open every year, which is kind of the opposite of New York, where it seems like they're all closing. Yeah. At least in Manhattan, they're all closing. The, it's it's a shame, man. It really yeah, is. It's tough, you know, but they can't afford the rent. You know, I remember CBGBs, they said that their rent was going to be $10,000 a month and mm-hmm. how a punk club afford that. You know, that's why they, ha- they had to go under. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, from there, I mean, just keeping things short, when I turned 30, that was when I kind of realized that it was time for me to get a real job. And I actually went back to school and was working in the healthcare. Um, and I did that for a few years until I got the call from Lotus. Hmm. And, um, and so I was actually out of being a professional musician for six years, I guess. I joined Lotus in 2009, so I was 36 then. Um, you know, I never stopped playing. I always played and I even kept a practice room going and everything. But it just, you know, I had, you know, I had my nine to five. Sure. And um, and really thought that I wouldn't, you know, it was always my dream since I was a kid to tour the country in a bus. That's all I wanted to do. Right. And I had that a little bit with some bands and we did some van tours and, and everything, but it wasn't quite at the level I thought it was. And, you know, I just kind of chalked it off to one of those things that a dream that you had that didn't quite make it. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got the call from Lotus, I realized that, uh, that maybe, you know, that dream still had legs. And here I am now, almost six years later, five and a half, six years later. So that's awesome. Yeah. So the message out there is if you're still, if you still want to be, you know, touring in a, in a bus or something like that, you know, don't, don't give up on it. Sometimes you gotta, <laughs> sometimes you gotta, you know, take an alternate route and sometimes you got to go get a nine to five and come back to it or whatever you got to do. But, you know, you got to at least got to at least keep it alive. Right. Yeah. And even just how I, my connection with them was just so weird. Cause I mean, we, we think about all the hundreds and hundreds of, of gigs that we've done and the connections that we've made. Mm-hmm. And I had one show with the ally that I was talking about before where we opened up for Lotus and this was in, I guess, 2002. Mm-hmm. And this was when they were still in college, you know, still playing in front of maybe a hundred people out there in Indiana and just opened for them. And I just became friendly with them. They're, they're really cool guys. When they moved to Philly, I hung out with them a lot. And we, uh, you know, I did a few side projects with Jesse Miller, the bass player, and that was it and didn't really think too much of it. Um, and then, you know, that one show wound up changing my life. Uh, yep that's crazy it's it's just yeah it's it's amazing the way things work like that i mean even thinking about like how i met my wife i was just at a random party in new york city and and there she was you know it's Mm -hmm. that changes your life it's uh (laughs) dude that's it's speaking of of that it's you know like these rare occasions is like i'm getting married next week oh thanks well actually by the time this airs i will be uh on my honeymoon in thailand so um but I met my fiance like 15 years ago in like some weird like AOL chat room, like when <laughs> not weird AOL chat room, but like when when it was normal to just like chat with random people online because right. like the Internet had just been invented, right. you know, and you're like, whoa, what is this? And and so I have no idea how or anything, but somehow we used to talk online. And now, you know, 15 years later, or 13 years later, we like reconnected and now we're getting married. Right? Isn't it amazing? It's like one if you could have gone left or right, and if you went right, your life would be completely different. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, I, it, it it hurts sometimes to think about it, you know. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's wild. But you know, you, you just have to roll with it, and you have to be ready when it does come. Yep, you know, things like that. So. so now, were you married at the time when you got the call? I wasn't married. We actually started. We were dating for two months. Um, and I got the call and I had to go out. And we, so we had to sit down and have the talk, you know, are, are we going to stay together? Because that Lotus, the first Lotus tour was lengthy. It was an entire fall, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we were doing well. And so we had to decide, you know, all right, are we going to wait for each other and, and come back? And, you know, because, you know, who knows after two months? And I decided, you know, that, you know, uh, 
we were, we were really good together. And, and so we stayed and, um, yeah, we got married, uh, I guess almost three years ago now. So. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's tough being, being away a lot when you're married. I think mm-hmm. sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Yeah. Um, you know, I have guilt when I'm gone for a while. Sure. But the, the good things, I think when, when I do leave and when I come back, I think it makes the, makes everything fresh still, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard for us to get sick of each other when, when we're, you know, when I'm gone for 12 weeks and then I come back and we, we see each other and, and it, it becomes new again. Right. So, right. so that's nice. And I get to bring her on a lot of cool vacations. You know, like nice. we're playing in Hawaii at the end of the month. So I'm going to fly her out there and, you know, we'll stay an extra week. And I've, cool. I've done that a lot. I flew her to Japan a couple of years ago when we were out there. So, you know, we, I just based a lot of vacations mm-hmm. around the band. So. so now how was the, how, how was the decision process of whether you were going to quit your day job and go join Lotus or was there a decision process? There really wasn't. I was actually very lucky. Um, I was, I, what I was doing, I was ultrasounding hearts and I was actually a a traveler, the way they have travel nurses, they had that. Mm-hmm. From, I, I did. And so it was just contracts, you know? And, um, so my contract was up almost the same exact time that they said that they needed me. So it worked out perfectly. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. You know, in fact, I actually had, um, I had like a month off. So I, I rented a, uh, sublet in Manhattan and just spent, uh, a lot of time exploring Manhattan and, and, uh, at night. And then during the day I tried to learn 110 songs that they <laughs> had in rotation for this tour. You know, it's, it's Lotus is a jam band, so we don't play the same song every night, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Cause you don't get bored of playing the music, but the downside, or maybe the upside is that, you know, we have a huge catalog that you have to have under your belt. Sure. Um, so yeah, so I spent I had to spend a lot of time learning all those songs. So. Hmm. so so now let's you had mentioned your your change sort of I don't want to say from acoustic drums to electric, but but incorporating more electronics into your playing. Um so what how how was that progression? Because I know that I get a lot of questions about incorporating electronics with their playing or how to practice that sort of stuff or, you know, how to start to get into that. And I think that you're the perfect guy who can answer some of those questions. Right. Well, yes and no. It's when I mean electronic influences, it's more about stylistically what's going on Mm -hmm. Um, with, you know, for, for example, actually the first electronic song that I heard that really caught my ear was when I was in college, my roommate was a little more urban than I was. I was kind of a dork from the middle of Suffolk County and he, you know, he was a little more urban and he used to play this song called Hot Music by a band called Soho. Mm-hmm. And the drumming on that song isn't complicated, but it's just nothing that a drummer would ever think of. You know, just the phrasing, the note placement, and I'm like, what is going on there? You know, so I took that and tried to play it on the drum set, um, Jojo Mayer calls it reverse engineering. What mm-hmm. that he did it with drum and bass, you know. Um, so it was more about that, you know. So I do have some electronics. I have some pads that I use. Sometimes I triggered uh, some sounds uh, from the kick and snare on that. But it's it's more about stylistically what's going on there because it's a whole different language in it, in itself. You know, sure. People play drum and bass. And even even something that's simple, like doing like a techno thing or a trance thing, um, even though it's very simple for on the floor, there's still a vocabulary there, and there's still a lot to learn from there that has uh, that has merit. You know, for example, um, a lot of times in techno music, if you're going from point A to point B, and B is a bigger part. Um, for me as a drummer, my natural inclination would to be playing a big drum fill that would bring us all to B. Right. But with techno music, maybe they'll drop the kick for four measures, you know, just play snare and hat. And then when that bass drum comes back in after those four measures, that's what makes it big. It's almost mm-hmm. like a negative fill. You know, so learning things like that. Um, so that's that's kind of where I was coming at a little bit hmm. more. Yeah, so my... my my, my, my electronics, I just, right now I just have a, a set of pads that I'm using. So it's, it's – and Lotus also has a percussionist who has a pretty big electronic uh, setup. He's, he's triggering a lot from Ableton. Mm-hmm. And so I try not to step on his, his toes a lot. Sure. So um, – but, uh, you know, but actually speaking of Ableton, I think it's very important that every drummer becomes familiar with Ableton. Um, 
also just as a learning tool and as a production uh, tool as well. So, sure, I yeah. agree. Yeah. So now, what what are some of the uh, some of the groups that that you were listening to, and and because I'm I'm interested in getting inside of this a little bit of how you practice this stuff, and maybe some different some different things that you practiced and because it's like you said, it's almost, it's like a different language almost. And yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the fills are different and the feels are different. And, um, you know, just stylistically it's different. So what were some of the things that you practiced or did you, did you specifically practice certain things or was it just sort of like a listening and digesting kind of thing? A lot of it was listening and digesting. The first music I really started playing along with was drum and bass, you know, which has been out of style now for a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. still as a drummer, it's pretty fun to play along with because it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the way the programmers came up with drum and bass is a lot of times they would take like a loop, let's say like the Amen break and they would speed that up to 170 and they chop it up on their computer and just rearrange and put everything back in, you know? So again, it's just like the beats that they would come up with were, beats that drummers wouldn't normally think about or just naturally play, you know? So I, I take, um, a lot of drum and bass songs and just play along with them, you know? So at the time also the evolution of electronic music is, it seems to me very different over the last 15 years than other styles of music. It seems other styles of music start simple and get more complicated and kind of collapse on themselves. Like if you look at jazz music or classical music, you know, jazz music, you know, look at it from the 1920s, 19, you know, mm-hmm. early 1800s, it started simple and then started getting more complicated with big band and then even more complicated with bebop and, and, uh, and then post bebop, it started getting so crazy and then it just became, you know, atonal almost. Right. Um, Electronic music, t- in my, to my ear, started exactly opposite with that. It started out more complex, you know. So you had uh, producers like Square Pusher and Aphex Twin, Amon Tobin, mm-hmm. all these guys who were doing really out there avant stuff. Um, and as a drummer, I, I was just really floored by what they did. Um, in fact, even Lotus covered a uh, an Aphex Twin song called Flim. And um, because I loved Apex, I decided to learn that note for note. It took me forever. I transcribed the whole thing. Yikes. And I, I made a YouTube video of that, of that too, of, of me playing that. You know, so like learning. We're lot- definitely going to, I'm definitely going to put that YouTube video in the show notes for this podcast. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's looking back at it now, I cringe a little bit because it, it wasn't 100% in time, you know, so I, I knew I could have done it better, but it's just what I threw up at the time and, and there it is. But um, yeah, but, you know, just for me to play that note for note, it, it was a good exercise, you know, just kind of getting inside the brain of, of Richard James there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also now what I think what's great for me, and I still do this, is um, I'll put on Pandora. You know, for, um, for drummers, I like – there's a few groups out now that I like playing along with. Um, there's a lot of guys from Germany like Siriusmo and Mode Selector that have some really cool things going on rhythmically. So even I'll, on Pandora, I'll just put on Siriusmo and I'll just play along with it and, and sometimes even record it and, and see what I can do there. Um, but anyway, I'm skipping ahead. But, you know, so from, from the late 90s where the electronic music was very complicated and um, it started getting more simple from there, you know, and, and you could trace it all the way back now to – to EDM, which is very simple. And and now it's like almost like pop music and even, you know, turned into dubstep and then now trap and trap music. It doesn't even really have any melody or harmony at all. It's just like a lot of, you know, hi-hat rolls and a tuned 808 kick. That's your baseline. And the music keeps on getting, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I like the older style a little bit more than, than what's going on now that I see at festivals, but there's still that underground element now, that I like, you know, like those bands. I also like a style called minimal techno, which is very percussion based. Um, you know, it's still a four and a floor kick, but there's a lot of cool elements going on top there that mm-hmm. try to replicate a little bit. You know, cause I'll admittedly, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not well versed in, in electronic music. Um, and it, it's crazy because like bands like Lotus and like Disco Biscuits and and all that stuff were all on the scene. I was like a big fish head, and you know, so they were all uh, 
on we were all in the same scene like us and and disco biscuits and all that stuff you know my band was a little bit different and but i never i never got that into electronic music and and i'm kind of like and now i've been thinking about this more and more i'm like man i gotta get into this stuff i gotta get more into it so some of the questions that i'm asking you are self-serving because i'm like give me some stuff to listen to Yeah, yeah, I'll you know some links, but yeah, I think especially for drummers, maybe Siriusmo. It's S I R I U S M O, I believe. Siriusmo. Um, he's uh, he's a good place to start because his it's it's new and it's his drum programming is is pretty on point, you know. So I think mm-hmm. uh, the guys would get a kick out of it. Cool. Yeah. So now, what's on what's on the uh, on the burner right now for you guys? Um, so we just wrapped up a, a pretty long winter tour. I was kind of gone from like Christmas until mid-March. We did a small spring run. And from here on out, we like I mentioned before too, at the end of this month, we have a Japan-Hawaii run. And then after that, we're just doing festivals. And then we don't tour in the fall anymore. We just do weekend dates. Mm-hmm. Um, our manager kind of looked at the big picture of the scene and realize that everyone tours in the fall and less people tour tour in the winter. So there's a lot less competition in the winter. Um, so that's the last few years we just go out hard in the winter and smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. We have a really good manager. It's uh, Mike Sanders from Opus one and he's a type of guy who will, you know, he, he knows what we're doing five years from now and just looks at the big picture. And, and, um, you know, so that's, you know, this is another one of, uh, his ideas to do this. And so far it's been great, except when we're playing Burlington in January and it's 10 degrees out. You Man, know? you know, it's funny cause we used to do the same, like we would normally try to tour in the South in the winter and, you know, up North in the, in the summer, but <clears throat> we would always end up in Burlington in February yeah. You know, and it's like freezing cold. And I remember getting there one time and it was like, it was like three degrees. And I was like, man, it's freezing up here. And with the guy at the club's like, man, you should have been here last week. It was like negative 23. Yeah, it's rough up there, you know. So that's, it is. Yeah, that's a tough part. We were real lucky, too, with the amount of snow this year. We didn't get hit with any snow. We just were always just missing it. Nice. Where do you guys, where do you guys typically play in Vermont, Higher Ground? Uh, yeah, I think we did two nights at Higher Ground. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool venue. Yeah, yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, and it's kind of home for us there. Cool. And then you got to go over to Nectar's and get some gravy fries. Right, right. Ooh. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it was a good tour. I mean, since I've been in the band, it's just every year we just do we, – we do a little better than the year before, you know, and that's right. – as a musician, I think that's all you can ask. You know, it's not, we, we didn't like blow up. I think when you have that, the, you know, when you come from that thing where, you know, one year you're playing in front of 100 people, the next year you're in front of 5,000 people, let's say in New York City, I think you have, it's, it's more probability of crashing real quick. But mm-hmm. Lotus has some grassroots and just every, you know, the band's been together for 15 years, you know, yeah. every year they just, just keep hitting it and it, and it gets better all the time. We sold out Terminal 5 for the first time. Uh, in, in New York, yeah, this year, and um, you know, we're playing some cool venues in Atlanta. Played the Tabernacle for the first time, you know. So like, ev- everything's just uh, it's going great with the band. So and you have a <clears throat> you have a picture. I guess do you guys play at Red Rocks every year. Yeah, yeah, we're taking this year off, but we've done um, yeah every year. I think we've done four years in a row. Now. Such a killer venue. Oh my god, yeah. There's nothing like it. You know, it's it's uh, it's I, I can't even believe it when I'm <laughs> I'm on stage and I'm just looking out. Um, it's, it's funny with Red Rocks too. I mean, I, at festivals I've played in front of more people, but it's just the fact that the audience is up on a 45 degree angle and it mm-hmm. takes an entire field of vision. It's almost like an IMAX movie, right. um, where it, you just, all you see is people and it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, everything about it is amazing. It is. Yeah. It's so anybody out there listening, if you ever get a chance to go to Red Rocks, go see Lotus at Red Rocks because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's a killer, killer venue. Uh, one of my buddies in big, there's a drummer for big head Todd and the monsters. And he, uh, they play, they do that cause they're from Colorado. So they play there. Um, they do like an annual show there. Right. And it's just like, the, you know, the pictures are just insane. Absolutely insane. 
Yeah, it's it's wild. It's it, it's you know, with, without a doubt, it's it's my favorite venue I've ever played, yeah. and because it's so special too, people fly in from all over the country just to to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we go there, and I see people I know in New York and Philly and California. Everyone just makes a, a vacation out of it and and checks out the venue and the band. It's it's a it's a wild time. It's I you know very lucky. <laughs> That's good. I like it. Never, I've never played there, but I've, I've been there. Always wanted to play there. But so, do you have any other um, any other side projects or anything like that going on? Are you specifically doing the Lotus thing? Yeah, no, I have a few right now. My other, I've always played with a lot of Disco Biscuit side projects, and one I've been playing with the last couple of years is called Electron, um, and I actually play with them quite a bit. Um, we're playing, uh, in Philly actually next week on the 16th, I'm playing with actually Electron and, and, and Lotus at the same time. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, Jam on the River. Um, so I've been playing with those guys a lot. Um, I have another band called the Stratosphere All Stars, which is, uh, the bass player, the old bass player from Sound Tribe, Sector 9, Dave Murphy. Oh, nice. Um, Steve Milets from Particle and Marcus Rizak from Digital Tape Machine. So we, we do some shows and I do some everyone orchestra shows um, right now that's, that's all we have. I'm trying to do a couple more things also with Jamie Shields from the new deal, but we haven't really lined anything up yet. Um, but especially with, between Electron and Lotus, I, I'm pretty busy between those. Sure. So. Sure. I can imagine. And do you, do you teach as well? Do you still teach? Um, not as much, you know, I'm not really set up for it anymore. You know, when I, when I did it full time, uh, all throughout my twenties, you know, I had the two drum sets and I had all the books that I needed and I don't really have that anymore, but, um, I do teach maybe two times a month now. And the way I do it now, it's, it's, it's actually pretty cool. I'll have like an intermediate or even an advanced level student who will come in and we'll, we'll just hang for an hour or two. And, um, I'll show him some concepts. Usually it's like molar, usually a lot of drummers still aren't too familiar with molar technique, mm-hmm. you know, so we can get into that. We get into some other concepts maybe some electronic concepts. And then I send them away for three months and then they come back and show me what they've been working on. And maybe I'll make some tweaks and send them away again. So it's not like the every single week sort of thing that I used to do, which sure. is kind of cool because you can keep on, uh, keep up on it. But at the same time, sometimes I felt like I was babysitting the students a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially the young guys. So, so this is, is very gratifying for me, even though I don't do it quite as much. Yeah. I think that, <clears throat> you know, the, the lessons where it's the hang rather than this is how you hold the sticks kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I had, that's always been, that's always been up my alley. So I don't have, you know, like I, I actually only teach like two guys now, but they're older and they're more advanced and I'll teach like a one-off here and there, but I'd much rather teach the lesson that is, that is, uh, you know, the advanced hang rather than, you know, the beginning stuff. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, at this point I, pro- I wouldn't teach a beginner, you know, I, I've just, I did it for 10 years, you know, every single, right. day. so I got a little burnt out from that. And there are other guys that can do it better than I can, especially now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, the students that I did connect with, I still, to this day, like there's a special place in my heart for those kids, you know, sure. you know, you do it over years and you watch them grow and you watch them go out with their own bands and everything, you know, and it's, and it's, uh, it's a very special feeling. Yeah. It's um, definitely cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about when the, one of my students, I still teach this kid and I think we started when he was like, uh, maybe nine or something nine something like that right and they like started this band and then he he got rid of the bass player and i was like why what happened he's like one learning the tunes man i had to fire him i'm like you're <laughs> nine <laughs> right yeah you know but like they're now they're like gigging out and all kinds of stuff it's awesome yeah no it's it's cool and i still keep in touch with my teachers from when i was a kid you mm-hmm. know when i was in long island i studied with Dom Famularo, who's still heavy on the, uh, he does a lot of clinics and teaches a lot, and um, another drummer named Pete Haywood, and mm-hmm. um, especially Pete Haywood was kind of like my big brother, you know, and and really, you know, he had the hang down perfectly. He was in his sixties, and I was like idolizing him. You know, he's dating like a girl that was like twenty something years old, right. <laughs> you know, would build motorcycles in his garage and everything, and uh, you know, so he was awesome. I haven't seen him in a few years, but I, next time I'm in Long Island, I'm gonna. Definitely swing by his place and say hi. So, so, oh, so you studied with Dom too? Yeah, I studied with Dom for maybe like a year and a half. And um, 
Dom, Dom was the one who really instilled the Moeller technique for me. Dom studied with um, Jim Chapin, who mm-hmm. studied with Moeller. So I guess I'm kind of like third generation from that. But, but Dom is just, he was an incredible teacher. He really uh, lit a fire under my ass and got me practicing a lot. You know? Yeah, his, I, I actually interviewed him for the podcast and it was great. I mean, it was a really, really good interview. And he's all set up, man. He's got like, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. He's got like the whole satellite stuff set up to where he can teach from his house and broadcast it like across the world and everything. It's insane. Yeah, no. And he he was – oh, even when I was with him, I, was, I started with him when I was 16. He would do like 12-hour days of teaching. You know, he just has yeah. an insane amount of energy. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he does – and he does like the public speaking thing and all that, you know. So he's, 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 he's really a character. He's great. Yeah, I recommend everyone to at least take one lesson from him even if it's through Skype or however – you know, satellite, however he's doing it, you know, just to check him out. He's, he's wild. Yeah, now, I mean, you don't have to – you don't have to drive all the way up to to Long Island to do it. Like you yeah. said, you can just do it through do it through Skype or you know how, whatever. I think he does like master classes and stuff like that to like large audiences right from his house. He had like he was telling me he had a a new or he had to get like all this high powered internet installed in his house and everything. Like it's insane. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of a kind, and he's one of those guys that you know he's <clears throat> he's a born teacher. You know, like yeah, yeah. That he is he. There's some people that I think just teach for the bread, and some people really just love to teach. Like Mike Johnston, for example. You know, he just loves teaching. Actually, quit touring because he loved teaching more. So, oh yeah, yeah. You can tell. You can tell in a second. You know, mm-hmm. even even um. You know, when when I a lot of times when I'm at festivals, I'll walk around and check out other bands, and I could tell. Like within one minute, if if the drummer's into what he's doing, you know, if the drummer's just like trying to show off, if if he, or if he's really into the music, you know, it just it becomes so transparent after a while, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, so to have guys like Dom and Mike now that are available to everyone through through new technology, it's uh it's an incredible time to be a drummer, to be a musician, to have access to all of this. It's great. It's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, where, if people want to go and learn more about you and more about Lotus, where can they go? So, um, I have a Facebook page. It's, uh, facebook.com slash drum greenfield. Um, Lotus has a website, uh, lotusvibes.com. And, um, between those two, uh, you know, electrons on Facebook also, I think it's, uh, facebook.com slash this is electron. Um, you know, so between that, I think, uh, people can get a decent idea of where I'm at. I don't really do Twitter too much or anything. Okay. You don't have, I won't hold it against you. (laughs) I have an account. I just, I'm never on it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, there's, I don't blame you. (laughs) So I'm actually probably on there more than I should be, but yeah, that's a problem. You know, it's social media. It's so addictive. It is. I even just deactivated my personal account just because, you know, like I'm like, oh, I'll check it for five minutes, and the next thing I know, an hour just flew by, and, and you you're know, like, what? What did I just look at? I have no idea. Yeah, right. you don't get anything out of it, and I'm like, you know, it's uh, you know, maybe five percent of what I read is is useful or interesting right. at least. And uh, you're like, why am I looking at 37 celebrity mug shots? Like, I know. You're like, I, I don't even care about this time, shit. You know, you know all the the, the bait clicks and on all that stuff. You know, look at this cute cat. I'm like, I want to see a cute cat. You know? <laughs> right. so, it's dangerous for me, you know. So uh, there was a quote. I even think it may have been on your podcast. I'm not sure. Someone said, "If you don't want to slip, don't go where it's slippery." So um, no, I never heard that, but I do no, like okay. it. Yeah, it's actually. I think it's like an alcoholic uh, anonymous sort of thing, you know. But I guess you can apply that towards anything. And like, wow, if I want to save some time, maybe the best thing for me to do is just deactivate my personal Facebook account, you know. So <laughs> I actually um, hold on. I'm writing that quote down. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go where it's slippery. So um, there's an app that I use. Um, do you have a Mac or do you have a PC? I'm Mac. Okay. There's a thing called – there's an app called Self-Control. Okay. And it's free. You can download it and you can blacklist websites. And so you can – and then you can set a timer. So you can set it for an hour, six hours, 24 hours, and it won't allow you to access that website. And there's nothing you can do to deactivate it. Oh, that's awesome. So I go – like I'll get here – like in the morning I'll get up and I'll put like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, ESPN, all that stuff. Put it all on there. Set it for you know six hours or whatever and then you can't get you can't get on any of that stuff. Took Facebook off my phone. So it's like 
Yeah, like you said, don't go where it's slippery. Yeah, yeah. And I do that when I practice. I practice. I use timers a lot when I practice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so like let's say I'm going to do, you know, an hour. I want to practice for an hour. I'll set the timer for 50 minutes, you know, so I have a 10-minute break. And, um, you know, while that timer's going, I don't, I don't break from anything. You know, someone calls me, I'll call them when that timer's over. You know, mm-hmm. um, if there's an email, I'll deal with it later. And I just try to focus in. You know, sometimes it helps having those external little, uh, I guess, crutches almost, you know, just help sure. you out, um, to, to get things done. Cause it, it's the, you know, we were talking about how great technology is, but there's also a downside to it. And this is one of them. I think it causes ADD in almost everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I saw it when I was teaching every year, the kids would, their concentration levels would go down. Um, and now it, it has to be even more. I mean, being, you know, a 13 year old kid with, with, you know, all you know, having an iPhone when you're 13, it just has to be so distracting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So having, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, what is that app called again? You said self-control, self-control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just type in self-control for Mac and then you can just download it right to your Mac and then you just open it up and put in whatever you want. And, and like you, it, it is, it's becoming this thing where like, if you're working on something and your phone goes off, you have to go get it. Or if, you know, and it, you can't, con- nobody can concentrate on everything because, and I'm just as guilty as everyone else. There's an app that you can download for your phone called Moments, and it tells you how long you're on your phone every day. Oh, that's cool. It is scary. Yeah. <laughs> scary. I'm telling you. And you can set timers on it too, to where if you spend a certain amount of time on your phone, your phone locks up and you can't use it except for emergency phone calls. Wow. Yeah. I need that too. That, I'm going to get all this. Stuff. Yeah. It's called Moments. <laughs> Moments, okay. Moments and self-control, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, when I was actually, when I was in college, I took one semester of a course in Buddhism and uh, learned the basics of meditation. And and even just through that one class, you know, I still do it a decent amount. Um, And it just helps me so much with the concentration game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also relaxation, too. I found um, with touring, even though we're playing different sets every night and the city's different, there's definitely a Groundhog's Day aspect to it. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the movie with Bill Murray yeah, yeah. where it's almost the same thing every day and you just try to make it a little better until you finally have that perfect show. But, um, you know, I was trying different warm-up routines and, and all this stuff and found out the best thing I can do that affect my playing more than anything else is just to do 10 minutes of meditation before the show. You know, really? I just go out to the bus, go in my bed, close the, close the curtain, meditate for 10 minutes to come out. And the difference in playing is night and day just with my rela- relaxation. That's and insane. I found, yeah. Yeah. I found through the being relaxed is the most important thing. Technically, you know, I, I, even with molar and, and just learning all these chops, I think the, the best thing you can get out of that is to be relaxed while you're playing. I think it allows you to really tap into that subconscious force that you have that really has all the answers and how to play and, and kind of, get in there. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's huge for me also. So, you know, just doing, doing those 10 minutes and then trying to focus from there. Cause I've definitely had my problems before with, with concentration being distracted by my phone. So, you know, that's one of my new year's resolutions is to try to, you know, get away from all that. So nice. So yeah. did you, um, other than the, the course that you took, did you read any books about meditation or anything like that that you can suggest? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a few guys. Uh, Alan Watts is a, he, he died, I think 40 years ago, but he, he wrote some great books about meditation. He also has a lot of, um, I think talks you could probably get on YouTube. Um, and he, he, he really had it down. He, he influenced me a lot. I, I stumbled upon some of his tapes in the library when I was a teenager and completely blew my mind. Him and Terrence McKenna, um, but Terrence McKenna isn't so much about, um, meditation as he is, uh, psychoactive drugs, <laughs> you know, but again, it's, it's kind of tapping into the same thing. There. Right. Um, but, um, who else is great for meditation now? Um, right now it's escaping me, but Alan Watts is, is, is a really good place to start. I think. Cool. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever checked out, uh, Zen habits. That's a, that's a good website. There's a guy named Leo Babauta who runs that. No, I have to check that out too. He writes. He basically writes these short uh, essays that are, or not essays, but these short um, articles about 
habits and it's, it's like it's really interesting and it's completely uncopywritten so like he's like you can do anything with it you can post it you can share it you can cut it up and use it as your he's like i don't care so he like it, it's called like uncopywritten or something like that hmm. but it's wow. okay. yeah it's, it's just zenhabits.com it's zen great habits yeah okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's funny. I'm finding more and more musicians are into it. Even um, Russell Simmons, I believe, just wrote a book about meditation. And, you know, Russell Simmons runs like four different companies and all this stuff. And he still finds his 20 minutes in the morning to meditate. And he said, totally changes his day. And I know Joe Russo, who's one of my like drumming idols, who I'm lucky enough to be friends with also. I, you know, he does it. And a lot of guys I know in the business world do it. You know, it's just, uh, it seems to be this common denominator between, you know, between between people that are like really killing it, you know? So, <laughs> but it's hard. Again, it's like anything, you know, to, to find that time and make it part of your schedule. It's, uh, you know, sometimes it can be challenging, but I think sure. it's definitely worth it for people to, to look into it. It's definitely better to spend time doing that kind of stuff than being on Facebook or watching TV. Yeah. Or something and, like and, that. And even know. speaking of Facebook, I think it's the exact opposite mechanism in your brain. Like whatever it is, you know, the way I'm feeling when I'm meditating, when I'm, I can't talk, when I'm meditating is the complete opposite feeling of, from Facebook. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, you're not con- concentrating and your, your mind is running from one thing to another. And it's, uh, you know, so they're, they are polar opposite. So yeah, exactly. You know, and those 10 minutes, seem like five hours when you're meditating. And like we said, the 10 minutes on Facebook seems like 30 seconds. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. All good stuff, man. All good stuff. And I like how we, we talked a lot about, um, things outside of the, the drumming realm that all feed back into the drumming and can, you know, make your drumming better and, and sort of, you know, just make your life better. So I'm all about that too. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. Well, Mike, it was uh, it was great having you, man. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you taking all the time to chat with me. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and uh, you know, go Phils. And you're probably not a Phillies fan, <laughs> are you? I mean, honestly, I'm not into sports that much, but I, I do I do like them. The, right. you know, They're horrible. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> But uh, but seriously though, thank you so much for doing this, man. I I really do appreciate it, and uh, I'll have to definitely come check you out when you're in New York or when you're in Philly, and you know I'll come check out a show. Yeah, I'll hit you up. I think we're going to be in New York in the fall, so I'll, cool. I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah awesome, like awesome. Well, thanks okay. again, dude, and uh, and I will talk to you soon. All right, thanks so much. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, see you. So there you have it, Mr. Mike Greenfield. Be sure to check him out on tour, and you can get all of his tour dates at lotusvibes.com. Also, if you want to go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 106, it'll have all of the books and all of the links and everything that we talked about during the podcast. And there's show notes for every single every single podcast. So if you miss something in one of the podcasts, you can definitely check out all the show notes for every single episode, all 106 episodes. Check me out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource and on Twitter at drummers R source. And until the next podcast, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. (laughs) 